This is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football on Macquarie Radio, NTS News, TalkSport. You're with Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy. First edition news with Willem van Dander and shortly before we head to France to look back on the miracle of Montpellier as has become known already. The Matildas World Cup campaign is back on track thanks to an incredible comeback by the Australian women against Brazil. We will talk to Matilda legend Melissa Barbieri who was over there to watch the game. Amazing stuff. Then we will stay in France to dig a little deeper into that game. The game itself, the campaign of the Matildas and where to from here with Francis Leach will stay on the World Cup theme then as Dean Willem and I dissect the other group's performances in the tournament so far to back end the first hour of the show. In the second hour, as we always do, Willem will kick off with second edition news and the latest in Socceroo Central this time. We won't include the Matildas in the news because we'll have spoken about them for the first hour, but there is some Socceroos news still. Uh, then we're sure you won't mind a little distraction from the World Cup, but we'll still ask him a few questions about it, but we're going to reflect on what's been an incredible five-decade career riding on the beautiful game with the now former chief football writer and very good friend of this show, the Australian newspaper's Ray Gatt. And then we will have a, a little yarn about Euro qualifying and the Copper America um, that uh, coming up. That's really uh, exciting stuff. Uh, can Lionel Messi get himself a big-time trophy? We'll be watching with a very a close interest. And then we'll wrap it up with stoppage time and edge. So, Dino... They, what a week it's been in Matilda's football. The, 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 the discussion, the ups, the downs. I'm sure we're going to go through it. We'll hear, we'll hear in the next two hours, we will hear every opinion and every angle on what's been discussed. Well, you do. And, um, <clears throat> especially in tournament football, you know, they're all isolated away. It's not like it's the, the, the hus- <clears throat> hustle and bustle of a, a normal campaign where it's home and away, home and away games. You're in a camp, you're away from home, you're away from your loved ones. I know family are most probably there, but it, it, for me, it, it's, and I've seen this, you know, most probably growing up in England and living in Australia, that when these teams have gone away, there's, there's always a drama. There's always a drama at every World Cup or big major tournament. And I think, look, I think the way we should read this now is if it's good press or bad press, it just means we're talking about the women's game because the women's game needs every little mm. bit. And I think controversy, I think people buzz off it. I personally don't, mm. but I think a lot of people go, oh, yeah, like a bit of controversy. So, Well, I'm a beast of the press. Ever since I was a paper boy, um, I remember as a kid, my dad used to catch the train home from the city and I'd ask him, did he bring the newspaper home? And my first ever job was as a paper boy. I've got ink running through my veins. I've worked in the press for 25 years. I've got uh, two younger brothers in the industry. I like all analysis you know yeah. I, I will drift more towards an opinion column than I will to an analysis comment uh, um, as a default position just to find out what's going on so I, I am one of those people that, that goes for that sort of stuff but I, I like to dig a little deeper than, than yeah. just what's yeah. on the surface and judge what you're writing as the opinion and the view of the individual rather than as actual fact of course G'day Rob, Dean. So as mentioned off the top, the Matildas World Cup campaign is alive and kicking after a thrilling come-from-behind victory over Brazil. The Matildas dragged their way back from two goals down in the first half to win 3-2 with Caitlin Ford, Chloe Legazzo and an own goal getting the job done for the Aussies. After the match, captain Sam Kerr was fired up. So proud of the girls. We knew we were in it um, at half-time and, you know, there was a lot of critics talking about us, but we're back, so suck on that one. 
Uh, what do we make of the comments, Chance? Uh, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't rate them personally. I know um, uh, we'll hear various views on on those remarks during the show, but um, watching. Uh, the Optus coverage, um, Cheryl Salisbury uh, wasn't enamoured of them either. Um, it, it's not statesmanlike, and I think it's been said, we can't do anything about it. I hope not too much is made of it, and I hope that's the end of it. Yeah, that's exactly right, Rob. Uh, Cheryl Salisbury said that Sam showed fire, passion, but perhaps a little, little bit of immaturity as well. Um, yeah, Rob, I think you're spot on for mine. This isn't, it shouldn't be the main story. It was a fantastic performance. Uh, make no mistake, at 2-0 down, 38 minutes in, the campaign was just about dead and buried, and they mm. dragged their way back. Uh, brilliantly, and they did it early enough that from 70 minutes on they were up, and, yeah, and, and the they had to hang the, on, and they, they did it really well. That's and it. The issue it, it, with the remarks, and this is what Sam's got to understand as she goes forward. It's not, it's not, it's not haters. Um, what a shocking word that is. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it does detract from from the performance. Which exactly. Is the, and the people who are writing yeah. on these articles have got a lifetime of skin in the game as well. They're not getting, um, you know, the Matildas might not be getting paid the big money, but journos certainly don't get paid the big money either. And and exactly the the the, the team had just painted the picture on the park. The the miracle of Montpellier, I'm not going to labour the comment, but it's going to be imprinted on people's minds forever. They are, fortunately, the result will overshadow any post-match remarks because it, it was against Brazil. It was in a World Cup. The World Cup campaign was effectively on its knees and they dragged themselves back. The best uh, World Cup Australian national team performance for mine since 06. Um, the men in 06, it was oh, absolutely fantastic. 100%. You could go back to Kaiser Slautin and that result in yeah. Japan, uh, yep. no doubt. That yeah, he sits that. equally alongside that. Yeah, Dino, you, you agree? Yeah, I do. And uh, look, uh, on, on the comments as well, look, you've just come off a football pitch. The microphone's right in your face. Yep. You're buzzing off it. And I know, you know, you've got to be mature and you've got to be, you know, all that. But sometimes football just lets you go into places that you don't normally go in your normal nine to five working day. And, you know, it's been said she might come back out and re- 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 not so much retract it, but maybe reframe it. But I think what it was was I think the, the pressure cooker of this week, the fact they lost the first game, what's happened. And there is no real haters mm. in Australia. Everyone's behind it. It's just that the stories have come out at the wrong time. Timing is like in anything in life. It's And the timing has been poor. Well, Craig Foster's been involved in it. He's not a hater. No. Um, Michael Lynch wrote one of the articles about the analysis. He also, in the immediate aftermath of the game wrote one of the most beautiful prosaic pieces of analysis and I read it immediately after the game thinking you're on top of your game here Michael you've sat in that stadium and you've analysed that game and written a beautiful piece on the game which wasn't just a a, a description it was a, it was a commentary so you know Lynchy's not a hater but but he's an honest pundit and and that's where you've you've got to accept the the good with the bad on a more global scale, the biggest uh, talking point of the World Cup so far has been the United States' emphatic 13-0 demolition job of Thailand. The previous biggest win in World Cup history was Germany's 11-0 victory over Argentina in 2007, so they've broken that record. Alex Morgan has equaled Michelle Acker's record for World Cup goals with eight. That record has stood since 1991. But again, the story has come from the media, if you like, uh, 
a couple of former Canadian players criticised US Canadians players. Only Canadians criticising yeah, US. <laughs> Very unusual. They claim they were disgusted by uh, yeah. some of the, the celebrations as oh, they slammed on the 10th. Yeah, poor. Yeah, poor. Well, that's why you your opinion. Yeah, it's poor. Yeah. Poor. Yeah. yeah, but I, I had I read the articles and then went back and watched it just to, to be sure, and and it was you you, you know you, there, there was some uh, you know social comment press from the US side defending it, saying you know some of these players it was their first ever goal, but Morgan you know she's a veteran you know it wasn't her first ever goal, and uh, they, they there should have been some leadership, shouldn't there? Absolutely, I think Megan Rapinoe with the ninth was the most classless of all, and she sort of slid on her backside and kicked her legs in the, the air. I think the problem that stemmed from it was the criticism was twofold. The first mm. part was they criticised them for running up the score, which means they shouldn't have scored so many goals, which I think is rubbish. They shouldn't score as many yeah, as they agree. like. They get but win then 20 the, the problem was the celebrations, and I think those two points needed to be split in the media discourse after the game. And it's a shame, because all of us know so many beautiful Americans. Uh, it's a wonderful country, and and right now, you know, they're the easy kicking boy, because there's no humility as a general default position in an American, um, and uh, and they do celebrate wildly. But, oh, um, they do. Yeah. I live there three years. I mean, I know it. I went to school there. Um, yeah. Totally different. It's a wonderful to, country. We love it. It is, it's, but it's different to Australia. It's different to England, and I've mm. been fortunate to do all three. Um, but that that wasn't good. That wasn't good. Going there, scoring the goals, getting the ball out the net, putting it back on the halfway line. Let's go again because we, we, we're here to win this thing. We're not here to play. We're here to win. Yeah. That's a message. Well, what'll end up? That's you, a message. The, 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 you just know what's going to happen, don't you? There's going to be a result some way during the tournament which is going to go against them. A result will go against them and they'll get people kicked out of the tournament. They won't, out, exactly, yeah, they won't win it. Out. And um, yeah, that's it. it. And yeah. everyone will say, you got your just desserts. Australian football chiefs have met with their American counterparts to see if collaboration between the W League and National Women's Soccer League could mutually strengthen the competitions. Fixture alignment, player trades and formalised links between clubs are all on the table as the nations prepare to combat the rapidly growing European women's football market which has been on display at this World Cup. Lots of players already split time between the two leagues and seems proactive and innovative to me, gents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it seems uh, well before the European um, power uh, gets beyond control, don't you? It's already beyond control in the men's game. Uh, now's the time to do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. No, so, so, exactly. I, I, I think even the, from the men's, I mean, our, our A League isn't mature enough, but mm, mm. if you look at their what they're doing over there, we could learn a lot from that. Yeah, and and will the American, you know, by contrast, uh, the power that's in the game over there in the women's. Um, uh, Competition, course, the, the yeah. National Soccer League is um, is uh, writ large. So, uh, yeah, more um, more on that to come. Well done, Willem. Uh, we are going to get stuck into that game uh, for the rest of this hour. We're going to talk to Melissa Barbieri, Francis Leach, and then we're going to wrap it up and we're going to talk more broadly about the tournament itself between the three of us, gentlemen. All right, lovely. Next, on box to box. Box to box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of yes, all. Yes, this is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. And as I said off the top, the Matildas World Cup campaign in France is back on track thanks to the miracle of Montpellier. To talk about it over there in France is 86 cap legend of the Matildas, Melissa Barbieri. Melissa, what an amazing, amazing result that was. Yeah, what a comeback, eh? We've done it before, but um, they managed to pip us 3-2 last time it happened in 2007, but we got them this time. 
Sure did. The first time in uh, 24 years Brazil have lost a, a group stage match. So, so to come back, the contrast of, of where uh, Australia was after six half, three halves, I should say, of football um, can, cannot be more stark, can it, uh, after the, um, the result against Italy, uh, the uh, potential of going out in straight sets, um, staring down the barrel minutes before half-time. That last-minute goal just really changed the momentum of everything, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And, it, um, you know, it's probably the worst thing that could have happened for Brazil to go 2-0 up because, as we all know, the yes. 2-0 is always the deadliest scoreline. And um, we always knew that at 2-0 they might take uh, the foot off the pedal a little bit. And thank goodness they did in the last minute of the uh, first half because, you know, Caitlin Ford sneaking home for that... Uh, Initial goal was a godsend right before the half. It just gave us that little bit of a lift and the momentum carried into that first half of uh, the, the next half of football. Um, but really, it was Brazil taking off Marta and Formiga. That was um, the big uh, challenge for me that I didn't realise um, you know, how much of a catalyst that could be for us, but um, it proved deadly for them, that's for sure. Melissa, it's Dean here. How are you? How are you? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm tired. It's I, I bet you are. <laughs> I bet you are. So you reckon the significance was obviously the, those changes that uh, Brazil made? Yeah, the, the changes, the, the like, first of all, the, the, the goal um, coming in the last seconds and then obviously when he t- takes off Marta and Formiga, um, the Dabinha that was very, very, very good in the first half doesn't, get as many, um, you know, balls in behind the defence anymore because there's no service to her. So, in fact, you know, that probably really, really helps the Matildas a lot. But uh, in saying that, you can't take anything away from the girls from the, the, the spirit they came out with in the second half. Been in this game for so long, Melissa. Um, you've seen plenty of uh, football in your day. And you're looking at the game there, it's 2-0 down. Be honest to, to us and all of our listeners. Where did you think we were going when we were 2-0 down? I thought we were in trouble because we kept getting stitched up down the right-hand side. It was um, it was super frustrating for me because we just get we kept getting caught out. I mean, I, I love how players want to get forward, but if they can't, you know, cover themselves uh, in behind and, and recover well, then almost you, you want to take... Uh, the reins off them and say, look, you just put a leash on them and, and keep them in the back line. And, and our right-hand side was really not communicating well. The run to Dabinia was causing all sorts of trouble. But then um, at some point, I think, uh, they sorted something out where they didn't uh, have any casualties in that last, um, you know, sort of 15 minutes of the first half. Um, and I think that just... Uh, Short up the boat a little bit. It, it, was, it was very, very rocky, and then I felt, okay, they've sorted something out out here. They've, they've just started to, to work together a little bit better on that right hand side. But um, as you said, it was it was scary times. I, I don't doubt that the girls. I never doubted the girls would would um, unleash uh, a comeback. Whether or not they could finish, uh, that was a different story. Because as you know, we, we find it very cool very difficult to finish at the best of times but uh, 
for me, Brazil capitulated really. So you said earlier about you know that the old uh, deadly two nil, you know, especially coming into half time. Once you do get that goal, you know, and obviously Australia scoring what the 46th minute. Um, all of a sudden, the momentum comes in from, you know, when you're going back into the dressing rooms, that they're going, well, we've had a 2-0 lead. Now, all of a sudden, they're on a high. They're going to come right at us in the second half and really get at us. So, most probably, it was most probably the best time to score. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and I'm sure the coach was had all sorts of things going through his mind in terms of Brazil because Marta's just come back from a hamstring injury. They've already got three points in the bag. Formiga's on a yellow card. Uh, if she gets another one, she's out the next game. So all these things you have to start weighing up. Um, you know, we've already got three points in the bag. Let's make sure that we, we get three points in the get next game rather than this game. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to Mr. B- Melissa Barbieri following the uh, incredible comeback of the Matildas against Brazil in the uh, Women's World Cup over in France. Now, uh, Melissa, you were in the stadium. Um, the sense of uh, the Australian support um, has been palpable from from this side of the world. The uh, the fact that uh, you know there's a small but really vocal group of uh, of supporters over there. What was the sense that you were getting from amongst the the, the supporters uh, in the stadium at the ground? Oh, it's been fabulous. I mean, the Green and Gold Army's here. Friends and family tour from the FFA, so and massive tour groups from um, New South Wales as well. So we've got a huge Aussie contingent in the crowd, and then also the fact that when uh, Brazil, any Brazilian started cheering, the Aussies just overpowered them. There were 17,000 people in that stadium, mm. many of them quite neutral, um, but we definitely swayed the French. Um, you know, neutral, neutral parties um, towards our side with our never say die attitude. That's for sure. And Melissa, look, it, it can't be ignored. A lot of the controversy around uh, um, the uh, the lead into the World Cup, um, the the loss against Italy uh, threw up a, a lot more uh, comment from from various sectors, um, including Craig Foster, um, most recently um, calling again for an independent uh, inquiry. Uh, the um, the siege mentality that appears to be developing around the side, um, obviously it got a result this time around, but can it sustain the camp throughout an entire tournament? I think it, it can. I, the girls are, uh, are very much in that sort of bubble. I mean, they know that they've got um, haters, as they call them, or people that um, struggle to support them even in bad times. Um, so they keep themselves in a real bubble that makes sure that they don't, listen to that sort of stuff and they, they play their own game and unfortunately for whatever the media and their agenda is in, in, in trying to derail the Matildas and, and their tournament, I mean, we, we lost 3-1 to the American last um, last tournament but it, it didn't seem to be a problem and then this time we, we lose 2-1 to Italy and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose like, you know, you can really tell the difference that there's some sort of agenda going on, but the girls don't know about it, and they'll and they'll ride the wave of what they need to do um, based on what they're told by their coaches and no one else. Yeah, that is one opinion, but it, uh, unfortunately, it, it doesn't seem to be shared by the vast majority of Australians back here. The the support for the Matildas uh, is. Uh, 
overwhelming in terms of uh, you know the love that Australians have for the side and uh, and the encouragement and enthusiasm of the general public. Uh, um, the uh, that's good to hear. That yeah. is very good to hear because you know over here what you read is what you hear. So mm. unfortunately, um, you know when you're away from what's happening at home, you, you kind of just read what's uh, on the internet mm. and, and all those sorts of things. So I'm, I'm, it's, it's really good to hear that that sort of uh, vibe is happening. Yeah, and, and that's one thing is, uh, you know, we, we certainly don't stick our heads in the sand on this program. Anyone who's listened to this show long enough would know that we cover everything uh, um, from both angles, so every angle. Uh, but um, the one thing that um, that needs to be made clear is that, uh, yeah, the, um, the country is behind the team. Nobody likes controversy and, and you know, fair criticism is, is entitled, but, um, yeah, we certainly hope that there's a, a better vibe going through the camp uh, for the for the back end of the tournament, and that um, and that the um, the women know that uh, Australia wants them to do well. Great, that's that's awesome, and I'm sure the girls would love to to hear that. So the more people that can get on the social media and and uh, <laughs> sound that sort of tune, the better. I think also just to add to that, Melissa, to give you a bit more like you know perspective on it. I, I agree totally with Rob. Uh, everyone's behind this. I mean. I mean, everyone's been, uh, you know, when anyone I talk to in, in football, and you know I've been involved in football for a long time, and you know, and it's not just about the men's game. I mean, the, the women's game has grown so, so much. And I think I don't mind this siege mentality because I think <laughs> what that sometimes does, it focuses you and narrows you even more. Because if you think you're getting a, you know, perception is everything, as you know, in life, they might be saying, well, look, you know, everyone's having a bit of a crack. But the real crack isn't to do with the girls or the team. It's just the timing of all of these you know, yeah. stories that come exactly. out, at, you know, at, at most probably poor times. But that, that's how sometimes, as you know, you've been in it long enough, sometimes these are the stories that break and make news. So everyone wants to read it and they think it's bigger than it is. But bottom line is we're in the tournament and now if they get that siege mentality, uh, which was obviously shown today, this could take us a long, long way into this tournament. All we need is this motivation to, to keep us going and propel us into the last game and it. And we know it's doable, but the best thing about today's game is that there are enough errors and, and enough um, disjointedness to really make the girls focus and hone in on what they need to improve um, and enough confidence from all the stuff that went right to give them the confidence to know that they can do the job in the next game, whatever happens. So, you know, it, it's confidence building, but it's also keeping them eating humble pie all at the same time. And I think that's the perfect storm. That's the perfect storm for a good outcome. Yeah, yeah. Look, you're right, Melissa. You, <laughs> you, they don't laugh. You, you, you know, you, they can't afford to get ahead of themselves right now. But, um, but yeah, hopefully, right. you know, the leadership in, in um, and Sam can settle down a little bit. She was over excited. It seemed after the game, maybe she could have been a little bit more diplomatic in her post-match remarks, which we'll analyse later. <laughs> but, um, but uh, Ante Milicic is a bloke who's been around football for a long, long time, and uh, he. He did keep a lid on it, and um, and hopefully they will, because the Jamaicans are absolutely no slouches. That 3-0 result against Brazil, for me, did not reflect the, the Jamaicans' performance. No, um, right. uh, they are a star quality that's side, fine. aren't they? So, Hey, Melissa, you keep enjoying the tournament. No doubt we'll talk to you again um, during uh, the next few weeks, um, hopefully right through until the very, very pointy end of this thing. And uh, uh, We might be like Spain back in uh, in 2010, hey, where they, uh, they lost the first game against Switzerland, and uh, we all know how that ended up. Mm-hmm. 
exactly. I always make that reference. It doesn't matter that first game. And I always reference Spain. Ah, you do? <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> oh, like Good on you, Melissa. Yeah, well done, Bob. See you, darling. Melissa Barbieri from Montpellier. We'll stick around because we're staying in France and we're going back to another man who was in the stadium, Francis Leach, to uh, analyse this game in a little more detail. Stick around. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back to Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport as we continue the analysis of the Matildas' amazing win against Brazil. Back to France. He's not long left at Montpellier. The miracle of Montpellier, as it's already being reported as Francis Leach. How was it, mate? Oh, Robert, was special because we've uh, only seen one of the team, or one of the match where a team in the Women's World Cup had come from a 2-0 deficit to go on and win the match. So for the Matildas to do that with their World Cup hanging by a thread, after conceding two goals, uh, you know, when uh, Christian put uh, Brazil up 2-0 on 38 minutes, you thought, gee, this is uh, going to be one hell of a mountain to climb. But they mm-hmm. found that goal uh, just before half-time. Caitlin Ford gave them the lifeline. Chloe Legazzo, uh, on 58 minutes, equalised. And then we got a little bit of luck, a slice of luck, but you'll always take that at the World Cup with uh, uh, the, the drama and suspense of the VAR determining that uh, Monica from Brazil had uh, been the player with the last touch on the ball and Sam Kerr hadn't interfered or been active in play, which I actually think was the wrong call. I think that should have been yeah. uh, chalked off the goal. But we'll take it, we'll run with it. And 3-2, and after the disappointment in Valencia against Italy where a late goal uh, sunk the Matildas and there were all sorts of questions being asked about their mental capacity, whether the changes with the coaching structure had been... Uh, disastrous. I mean, you know, people pressed the panic button with both hands uh, after that loss. A late, late goal in the 95th minute, mm. and suddenly, you know, everyone was saying that women's football was uh, down the toilet, pulled the chain, um, which, you know, overreaction. I, 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 think, I, I, think, I think everyone might be um, a, a little exaggerated, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, I mean, the, the, the vast majority of the commentary was that there was a massive problem with the Matildas, and so many commentators had, had drawn. Uh, you know, a simple thread between the events of the last six months and the results in Valenciennes, that one mm. beget the other, uh, which I think is, you know, both stupid and irresponsible. Mm. Um, you know, it's a much more complex picture than that. And I think today proved that because a team that was, as depicted, uh, unable to cope with that change, wasn't mentally strong enough, wasn't able to play the coach's instructions, wasn't really there knowing or believing it could win, could not have pulled itself out of the difficult situation it found itself in today. So I think uh, we put to bed uh, the nonsense that this team doesn't play without Alan Statute's coach. It does. It has. It did. Well said, mate. So we've just talked to Melissa Barbieri, and one of the things we discussed was was the siege mentality uh, and a perception, it seems, amongst the team, amongst the camp, that uh, that Australia, uh, not just some in the press, is against the Matildas and, uh, and and doesn't support the team. Um, we uh, we made it clear that the, the the vibe that we're getting here is is vastly opposite to that. Yes, there's obviously a lot being written in the press and and the things that uh, that you pointed out uh, uh, have been well and truly analysed within an inch of their lives. But uh, but the, the the general public, the general sporting public in this country wants to see the Matildas do well and know that they've earned the right to be uh, one of the favourites for this tournament. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And there is a truth also to the fact that with uh, high profile, with greater interest, the 
greater expectation will come greater scrutiny. But you want that scrutiny to be fair, and I think at times it hasn't been over the last little while. Uh, and it's great signs for the sport that so many Australians are taking an interest. And uh, you know, hopefully we can you know, use a win like today and build on that to further press our case for uh, hosting the World Cup uh, in 2023 uh, because the Matildas are such a brilliant uh, ambassador for Australian sport and, and we know we've got the infrastructure in place and the capacity to put on major events. So you know, all, you know, all roads lead to Australia in 2023, but of course the politics of FIFA could say otherwise. We, we take nothing for granted because of our recent experience. But today, today was a good day. Francis, it's Dean here. How are you? Hey, Dino. Yeah, going well, mate. Good, good. Now, uh, what do you reckon when you're 2-0 down? What are you thinking? Where, where's your head at? My head is at the... I'm glad the second goal came in the 38th minute, not the 78th. Because it's a lot harder <laughs> yeah, to recognise the situation. Got, you've got point. time, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I wasn't panicking, but I, I, you know, I was just frustrated. Because the first 20 minutes, once again, the Matildas dominated possession. But then, you know, I don't know if you noticed the first two games. They were getting a lot of uh, width. Our playing left and right really well. But their only sort of avenue inside the box was to whip crosses in. And there wasn't much variety to that. And I think the, the Brazilian defenders could read that and we're happy to just tuck in and, and deal with the, the balls coming in. Uh, it wasn't until they sort of like found a way to drive into the box and ask some different questions that they finally got that opening goal. Uh, and then the dynamic changed. But they, they certainly looked like they could compete in midfield. They got caught a couple of times, particularly for that first goal, um, you know, when, uh, when uh, the penalty was awarded. Uh, and sometimes it just was frustrating to see them be so fluent with the ball, maybe not playing at a tempo that allowed them to get in behind, but being fluent and confident on the ball and then to cop goals as a consequence of maybe pushing a little too far forward. But, yeah, it was. Um, it always felt that at half-time with that goal just before the break that the game was very much alive. Also, you know, now that we've got the, the three points, which obviously is very valuable, how do you see this group now panning out uh, with the, the final games of this particular round? Well, it'll be fascinating. I think if Italy... Uh, win their game against Jamaica tomorrow, which we expect they will, they'll have six points and they'll look to probably be quite comfortable to play Brazil uh, into a draw for the final game, pop the group and go on their merry way. So it'll be incumbent on the Brazilians to to try to create something and and, uh, take the initiative because uh, we know the Italians defend so very well. So that's their issue. I think it's almost a certainty that Italy will top the group. So it really is a matter now, I think, for Australia to uh, to try and score as heavily as they possibly can against Jamaica. And we know that that could be problematic. I mean, we saw the Socceroos try and do that after their, their disappointment in Japan in qualification and then came back and played uh, Thailand at, at Amy Park in Melbourne and struggled to score more than two goals and conceded as well, uh, even though they had, I think, it was 27 shots on target. You know, yeah, sometimes yeah. when you're trying to, to push it and force it, doesn't quite happen, so we can take nothing for granted. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to Francis Leach in France. Now, Dean's asked that question about the way the rest of this group plays out. What's your sense of, of the way the tournament uh, is emerging? Uh, the, the French um, are uh, imperious. Uh, they, they were convincing in that first result against uh, South Korea, but, uh, but that Norway result was, was one where they really needed to dig in. The, the USA, um, they copied a fair bit of criticism themselves for the way that they handled that 13-0 result against Thailand. Um, who, who are you eyeing out already as as, um, as the, the form sides other than those two? Yeah, I mean, obviously the Americans and the French have been impressive. I thought, as you said, Norway were pretty good value yesterday as well. Pretty unlucky, I thought, with that second penalty. That was uh, one of those moments where you look at it and go, 
gee, you know, if they had their time again, they probably wouldn't do it. But Germany's the team for me. You know, they've played two ones. They haven't been outstanding. But when, when did German teams that win the World Cup ever uh, stand themselves as outstanding in the group stage mm. of anything? So <laughs> for me, yeah. they look like the team that will, you know, will, that will pose the biggest threat to the United States at the moment. Um, and who knows? If the, if the Matildas can build on the success today, have a good win against Jamaica, finish second and give themselves a decent shot at around a 16 game that uh, they're not sort of drawn against one of the heavy hitters, France, mm. Germany or the United States so early in the tournament. And keep building momentum. As you know, it's all tournament football's different to, you know, uh, a league football where you've got 27, 38 games and you, you build into a season. If you hit a run of form over the space of five or six games uh, and it clicks for you, then anything can happen. So uh, they will feel like they're very much in the tournament for now. But yeah, I, I think the Germans are quietly, as they always do, uh, putting together a formidable uh, shot, uh, you know, campaign and an opportunity to win this title. I mean, Nigeria it was so good to see them uh, to, win, to win one. Um, I would love to see an African team make a quarter or a semi-final, mm. uh, just for the good of the game. Uh, Cameroon is struggling, but the, the Nigerians played really, really well. And, you know, the United States, no one wants to see them win anything after the way they carried on <laughs> yeah. beating up on Thailand. That was just, you know, there are some sports where there is there's etiquette in, in the sport where yeah. if you behave in a way like that, you'll, you know, I know in baseball, I think it's if you're uh, nine runs you right. ahead in the last, and you steal a base um, when the game is dead, you will clear the benches, they'll come out and uh, and there'll be an all-in brawl because you've insulted your opponent. And, yeah. You know, it, it was, I thought, uh, you know, it's unseemly, very unseemly the way they celebrated those late goals. Sure, go ahead and score them, pick the ball up, put it back in the, in the middle and go again. But mm. carrying on like you're, uh, uh, you, you've uh, won the World Cup off your own boot when you score the 13th against them, you know, like Thailand uh, mm. hasn't done anyone any favours. No, it took a bit of leadership in the team um, somewhere. Um, along yeah, the line absolutely. And it, just, it just didn't happen. Um, there is one team that um, that I would love to see Australia play in the final uh with the Ashes coming up, wouldn't it be amazing if uh, there was an Ashes uh, World Cup final? I heard a great promo, promo uh, on the radio, uh, streaming some audio from the UK with one of the uh, the English players. Uh, uh, a different team, the Lionesses, different team, same pride. Yes, well, oh, I don't see it as a final, but it might turn out as a quarter or a, around a 16 game. And, um, of course, the, the Matildas would know so many of the English girls because they've come out and played in the W League and played Major League Soccer against one another. So mm. that would be, and of course, you know, it's in that long tradition of Australia, the England sports contest. And we haven't had an Australia-England game at the Men's World Cup as much as we would have liked one. Mm. So maybe this is our chance. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, mate, uh, continue to enjoy the tournament. Francis, no doubt we'll talk to you several times over the, the next few weeks as it gets a little closer. Uh, what a momentum shift it's been uh, in this last week. Uh, the Jamaica game coming up uh, will not be easy. They are a formidable side and a rising uh, side in their own right. Uh, uh, we're, uh, we're very good against um, against uh Brazil in that in that original game uh, and uh, and will not be um, uh, easier to toss because they will be battling for their own tournament um, in that game. So uh, uh, looking forward to that and, and chatting to you again real soon, mate. Good on you, Rob. Good on you, Dean. Enjoy yeah, the cheers. The Thanks for that. Thank you. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. Stick around because uh, Willem, Dean and I are going to analyse the rest of the groups uh, to just see where we think that this thing is going to go um, over the course of the next few weeks, who will make the knockout stages, etc. But hopefully one of those teams will now be the Matildas. Stick around on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. This could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. Now we've um, 
analysed the Matilda's brilliant performance against Brazil with Melissa Barbieri and Francis Leach. We're going to be more broadly into the other groups of uh, the tournament shortly. But are you running out of space at home? Then you just have to call Storage King. Because right now, during the month of June, you'll get one month's storage for free. Yes, for free. So whether you're moving house, downsizing, renovating, relocating, the office is too small, or you're running an online business and you just don't need a shop front, Storage King has the answer. Storage King have got a crack team of storage professionals on hand to make life easy. I was up there at the National Conference in Canberra just a couple of weeks ago, and if you were wondering about how well trained these people are and how much they passionately love the industry that they work in and the people that they work with, then you got to take my word for it because it was on full display. They've been around for well over two decades, the best in the business. Michael Tate, David Scanlon started this business all those years ago and I had the good fortune to meet them when they didn't have travelled that journey with them. Storage King, they are the kings of storage moving and more. Move in during June, as I've said, you will get one month's storage free. Go to storageking.com.au to find your nearest store. Conditions do apply, of course, Willem. Uh, the rest, just walk us through it, mate, because this this start, this tournament, as any tournament does of this stature, is starting to to build and create a personality of its own. And and one thing that a lot of uh, uh, commentators and observers of women's football uh, did um, uh, forecast about this tournament itself was that it was going to be the coming of age of women's football. And uh, in this past week, I, I'm getting a real sense. That, um, that that is actually happening. Yeah, it's been fantastic. As with any tournament, once it gets started and matches come in, you get a bit of context. That's when it can really s- start to take off. So Group A, we have two matches played each. France look a good thing to go through. They're six points uh, with a positive goal difference of five. Norway and Nigeria are each on three points and a good chance to go through. Nigeria were fantastic against South Korea, who sit on the bottom, uh, to get the job done there. Group B, Germany also sit atop uh, their table with six points while Spain and China are three apiece and South Africa look unlikely to progress with zero. Group C, of course, uh, played this morning, was Australia and Brazil. So Brazil sit atop the table with, well, sorry, there's three teams on three points. So that's Brazil, Italy and Australia. Italy and Jamaica, of course, have a game in hand. Group D, uh, England sit atop the table on three points. Argentina, Japan, uh, one point each. Scotland yet to get off the mark. Group E, uh, Netherlands and Canada each had hard-fought wins over New Zealand and Cameroon. Uh, Group F, United States, three points with a massive goal difference of 13. Sweden also joined them on three points. Chile are yet to get off the mark, but they remain a chance to go through, while Thailand look very unlikely with that uh, hefty goal difference. And that brings us to the end of the groups. Yeah, look, I think uh, I think certainly for the groups that have played the two games, um, which obviously there's only two two groups that have done that in its entirety, but the, there's obviously another two that will complete that tomorrow. The picture starts to really form in those groups from A, B, C and Group D. Uh, obviously the rest, you know, the, the further two there, then we've got one game. Until that second game, you, you have a far, far greater picture of what the dynamics of that group is. Mm. Uh, for me, it's still looking like on the predictions because obviously we're all uh, very keenly looking at how we've predicted. But mm. I think I think it's going to be quite tight and close. Uh, but I think there's always going to be a surprise. There's going to there's going to be somebody that we all thought were going to go through, 
but obviously you've still got that third place as well. Exactly There's right, yeah. Some third place uh, opportunities. So even if you do have a bad one, you might just scrape through. Exactly. It's one of those situations where, uh, um, as we've already discussed with Melissa, and um, and I know I you know, pumped out a bit of uh, an opinion on our WhatsApp chat, uh, uh, predicting, hopefully, uh, that uh, Australia's result would be similar to Spain of 2010. But uh, but so many tournaments over the years have, have um, delivered that kind of outcome, haven't they, where you, 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 you motor into uh, tournaments uh, and, uh, and just change through the gears. Italy, a team, um, traditionally, that have done that sort of thing. Uh, we know the Germans consistently, they play through the tournament. They manage the tournament. Uh, France, even in Russia, they did it. I mean, yeah, you go back really to that well. opening game against Australia where we felt hard done by. Yeah, um, we did. And we really marked ourselves uh, well against that result. Um, who, what ended up happening? We didn't even make it out of the group and they won the damn thing. Yeah. Very fine margins, you know, especially at that level, world class, you know, from, from even from the women's game, it's exactly the same. You know, you've got some really good world class players at that level and you, then you've got the, the teams that... You know, that just just give you a surprise just because mm, they're collectively mm. together. You know, and I suppose that's that. What we touched on earlier is uh, the, the siege mentality that Australia have got. Mm. This hopefully will be part mm. of the process to get us into deeper into the and, tournament. And Willem, we're getting heroes, we're getting villains, um, we're getting a few teams under the radar, we're getting the the you know the the sporting um tragic stories um, like the you know the, the 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 you know for all of the criticism that the Americans are copying for that result against the Thailand uh, there was an image of a little girl a little Thai girl crying in the grandstands and you thought yeah this is football well that's right the only way's up for the Thais on their in their world cup debut We'll run through a few of the goal scorers. So Alex Morgan cashed in against Thailand. She sits atop the table with five. We've got Christiane Rosiera from Brazil. She scored a hat-trick in her first game and then won this morning against the Matildas. She's on four. Uh, Eugenie Lassoma from France is on three. And then there's a host of players on two. Barbara Bonasea from Italy. Uh, Jennifer Hermeso like from Spain. She, uh, she could have had a hat-trick herself, um, had one chalked off as well. Certainly could have. And then uh, Rose Lavelle, Sam Mewis and Wendy Renard, each on two goals apiece. Sam Kerr didn't get on the score sheet this morning, but she had a, a big hand in, in two goals as well. I, heard, I saw someone on Twitter say she's scoring with the force this morning. So there you go. Well, what's um, what's your sense, gentlemen? Um, are you uh, interested in revising any of your early predictions? No. Anyone you've um, suggested uh, might be doing well, not doing so well? Well, anyone? I was filling out my graph, and I thought my predictions were a little bit too close to Michael's, so I thought mm. I'd change it up, and then I saw that you two have picked very similarly, so I should have just hitched my wagon to the edge train. <laughs> He's the, uh, the resident expert. I think I've predicted... New Zealand to finish top Group E. That's looking a little bit unlikely, although they were very good against the Dutch. Yeah. Although my Group B predictions are coming reasonably good, I had Italy to top the group um, ahead of Australia and Brazil in third. So it mm. could, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's possible. Yeah, look, um, some of our listeners might be tuning in after the the Jamaica Italy game, but that is one game I'm looking forward to uh, um, to, to, to listening uh, to watching myself um, to just to see how that plays out and uh, and it, it, I, are Italy as good as what um, we saw against Australia? 
um, will Jamaica be able to get back on track? Because they will not have counted themselves out. There's just no doubt. Anyone who watched that game uh, will know that they are a rising force in, in football. And uh, and with that wonderful backstory with Bob Marley's daughter funding the team that you talked about last week, Willem, yep. uh, um, it's um, you know it's a great sign for uh, for the future of uh, the Caribbean um, women's game. No, it is. It's good. No, it is. I mean, uh, but Rithri got Italy. I'm not sure about them. Mm. I mean, I know they came back, and you know, you know, and you take that on the chin. It was a great comeback, but I think that was a game that Australia threw away, really. Yeah, but they, they, their manager. I mean, we talked about her last week. You know, she's uh, um, a um, a real steely type. There's just something about her that gives me uh, confidence. Uh, anyway, that's just a. An observation. Well done, Willem. That was uh, excellent. Um, what a bumper first hour. That uh, analysis of uh, the miracle of Montpellier. We'll um, we'll never forget that um, that game. We'll watch it many times over. Like I think we all have watched that uh, uh, incredible result back in uh, 2006 in Kaiserslautern. But next hour, soccer is central as well as uh, the uh, second edition of our, our news. Ray Gat, um, our good mate. Europe with uh, the Copper America and the Euro qualifiers, and we'll wrap it up with Edge and Stoppage Time. That's all coming up next on Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage moving Absolutely fantastic! Welcome back to Box to Box. What a Pumper first hour of the show that was, and didn't we enjoy it? Nothing quite like uh, having a yarn about a uh, brilliant result. We've raked over the coals of some bad ones over the journey, but uh, it's fantastic to be able to bask in the afterglow of uh, amazing performance like the miracle of Montpellier as it was. Uh, we're going to talk to a very good friend of ours. We'll have a bit of a yarn about the World Cup. Ray Gatt, he's retired from the Australian newspaper. He's been fantastic to us over the past four years, but we've enjoyed reading his writing. And as a friend, going to school with him, playing cricket with him as a young bloke, as I did, uh, um, it's it's wonderful to, to watch Gatty um, uh, go into the sunset. But you know, knowing him, he's uh, got those fingers on the hot buttons of social media and he's uh, fair to him. He's like Quick Draw McGraw when you get a message <laughs> out there. He knows how to respond. Uh, we're going to talk about the Copper America as well and uh, and the Euro qualifiers. We won't uh, miss out on that and we'll wrap it all up with uh, edge and stoppage time. But uh, look, we don't want to wade too much through the, um, the negative stories, uh, but this week has been this week, um, and we're not going to ignore them either. And and one of the biggest stories, uh, the most controversial stories, is one you've got there right now, Willem. Yeah, absolutely, Rob. So the FFA have reportedly denied their own compliance committee with documents relating to Alan Stadich's dismissal. Part of last year's FFA board reform saw a compliance committee reformed, uh, which was to oversee FFA's complaint handling procedures. So it seems that uh, Greg Griffin, who's the chair, has requested documents relating to Stadich's dismissal, Gallup said, uh, David Gallup has uh, denied him this, which seems to make a mockery of the compliance committee. It, it, well, it does. And, uh, and being the lawyer that he is, David Gallup has, uh, has said um, that the dismissal had not involved um, complaint nor FFA's compliant procedures, uh, therefore was not appropriate for the committee to deal with. I mean, 
Seriously, does he not realise that all that does is um, throw fuel on the fire? That uh, that by not disclosing and not publishing and not revealing the information that you've got, that it will just generate more speculation. Uh, right now, for me, David Gallup is uh, his position uh, is becoming more and more untenable, and uh, um, even his sort of um, you know reactions post the um, the game. Um, over in France, yes, he, he, like any Australian, he's entitled to be excited, but uh, unfortunately, I think um, it masks um, this bigger issue. And um, you know, I, for one, like many other people who are concerned about the health of uh, the head office, um, uh, am looking forward to to this um, independent uh, analysis, Dino. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, <clears throat> again, it's you know, we've 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 just talked about all the positives, even you know, the bits and pieces of this. World Cup campaign so far, and then it comes back to this again. So this mm. never leaves us until until this is managed and and done properly. Mm. Then we'll be able to put a line in it and not be part of history of what happened. But while it's all loose, it's it's going to just keep keep going. And and this is mm. this is unfortunately so where Melissa thinks you know from when we know when we've spoken to Melissa mm. is that. People are not behind them. Everyone's behind them. Yeah. It's just the timing of every, all these things that keep coming up, just keep coming up at the wrong time, and they have to be published. And why they're, they're coming up? They're coming up because they're not being handled. They're not being well. dealt with. The truth generally comes out in time with these things, and although we're still not entirely sure what's happened with the Stadic uh, sacking, the longer this goes on, the less it reflects poorly on Stadic and the more it reflects poorly on the FFA and David Gallup, in my opinion. Another problem to come out of it is that the... Compliance committee was a recommendation or a demand of FIFA uh, during last year's board uh, reconstruction, and they've, they've clearly just dismissed it. So, again, we're not acting uh, within the FIFA guidelines, which can't be good for us going no, forward. Well, well, as FIFA have, have indicated um, in recent times, and, you know, the, the criticism of FIFA and their own compliance over the years is well documented, but in this instance and the way they've managed the Australian process, they've been very firm and very clear, and when our... Um, our uh, uh, protocols are, are not uh, matching up with the the expectations, even the demands of FIFA. Um, they're coming down hard, and um, and this will be noticed. So we'll go to Socceroos Central for the Green and Gold Army. Support the Oliveroos in Thailand as they look to qualify for the 2020 Under-20 Olympics with the Green and Gold Army. Wasn't a great deal of action, gents, but the Socceroos did play a game against Korea last week. And one man I want to touch on is Mitch Duke. He came from outside the initial squad to win his first cap in almost five years, starting up front. And I thought he was uh, pretty good. What do we make of his performance yeah, like, uh, and the Socceroos on the whole? I think since he's come back to Australia, he's, been, he's improved. He's made a really big impact mm. at uh, the Wanderers. And uh, for me, uh, no, he's, uh, he's been good value. I like him. I think he'll just get better and better. Yeah, I thought that that, that result was, was a good one. Um, and uh, Andrew Redmayne, uh, between the sticks, um, he, um, he, he was... Uh, you know, conceded one which was uh, not against him. I wouldn't have thought. Um, saved uh, others and uh, and uh, look, giving the, the the main players a rest, uh, giving other players who uh, great uh, opportunity, not, yeah, not not off the level that much, uh, step them up. Our yeah. depth improves. Uh, You're never going to know if you never never, never going to show them. So yeah. see what they're like, and you go, oh, hold on, maybe not quite ready, but we'll bring him back next time because he mm. might, you know. Anyway. Good. One French soccerer who wasn't involved was Alex Gershback. He's been non-committal about his future with Nac Breda in Holland. They've been relegated to the second tier, and despite having two years left on his deal, he's hinted he may have to move to stay in the national team frame. Finally, Graham Arnold and Mark Milligan have joined the Matildas in France and supported them during their campaign. Okay. 
Arnold described the Socceroos and Matildas as a football family, and he questioned how many other male captains and coaches would be doing similar for their female counterparts. Now, were Arnie Milligan the difference this morning? I wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> I would have thought that perhaps the Matildas need Arnie to join the Socceroos during their Surely. next campaign and teach them how to get the job done on the bigger stage. Yeah, mate, same, similar to the advice that um, we've given regarding Sam Kerr. Um, just let others give um, <laughs> you a pat on the back in this instance. Um, you're there already, and uh, and that's fantastic. And, well, maybe um, they could give a bit of advice um, on, on, a, on some diplomacy. That that would be helpful uh, as far as I'm concerned. The 46th edition of the Copa America will commence uh, tomorrow morning, Australian time, with Brazil set to host Bolivia in the opener. Brazil will be without Neymar for the entire tournament. With an ankle in- He's out with an ankle injury. They're under enormous pressure and have never lost when hosting uh, the Copa America. Last week we mentioned that Lionel Messi wasn't too confident of glory and Argentina are oddly heading into the tournament with a caretaker manager, Lionel Scaloni. Scaloni had been set to select Mauro Icardi up front. Messi has apparently pulled rank and selected his old friend Sergio Aguero instead, so that shows how much power he's got uh, in that country. And from an Asian perspective, Japan will play their first Copa America since 1999. Yeah, so this this spot was opened up because the Gold Cup is being played at the same yeah, time. Right. Yeah, right. and uh, and so we're we're looking forward to hopefully Australia being the guest team. Um, I think they always require two guest teams mm-hmm. to fill the because they've only got ten teams, so yeah. they need a twelve-team tournament. Mm. A bit of a sad one, gents. Leighton Orient manager and former Tottenham player Justin Edinburgh has passed away five days after suffering a heart attack. Mm. Edinburgh was just 49. He'd recently been to Madrid and watched Tottenham play in the Champions League final. Quick note on his career, he won the FA Cup and League Cup across 10 years with Tottenham, and he was managing Orient. He'd just guided them back to the Football League, having taken over in 2017. Dino? Oh, look, it's always sad news when you lose a footballer of any any age, but when it's 49, it's... Oh, I mean, I'm 53, uh, so I'm not that far ahead of Justin, but... Very sad for him and his family. Um, he was a good footballer. remember watching him play live, uh, watched him on television many, many times. And and the job that he'd done for an absolute basket case of a club in Leighton Orient, you know, they they took 30,000 to uh, to Wembley. You know, they, they've got massive support, but it's just been let go. Uh, and he's done a fabulous job. And I, I heard a little one on... Um, Talk sport, Jason and, Candy, I and, it was, and there was a little thing. bit of a where I think it was the signing off yeah. before they went away for their break, yeah. Yeah. and it was great banter. It was really, yeah, good. It, it, was, it was sad also on another level that that, that English uh, um, managers are, are not being given opportunity in the Premier League, uh, uh, or not as, as as many opportunities as you would think that they were entitled to. And when you get a a guy who's a relatively young guy, he's had success, played through the club system. You know what have we missed? We will never know what what might have happened with. Uh, with oh look, you don't. He started at the bottom, as they mm. say, and got them through that. Mm. And that's where you do. You learn your apprenticeship, and then you you kick on to hopefully a big job. Romelu Lukaku has hinted at a move away from Manchester United, saying he's made up his mind and he's set for a busy off season. Antonio Conte uh, looks reportedly set to sign him at Inter Milan, having gone close to doing so when he was at Chelsea two years ago. Lukaku is currently in camp with Belgium, where he stated, I know what I'll do, but I won't say it. Do I expect a busy summer? Yes. Mm. And one out, possibly one in at Manchester United. They've signed 21-year-old Welsh winger Daniel James on a five-year, $33 million deal. Uh, That's Australian. Australian, yeah. James scored... Four goals and set up seven more across 33 appearances for Swansea. Dino, you like the look of him? I do. Yeah, he's one of this uh, young brigade of uh, 
not only English footballers but Welsh footballers. I think Scotland are in the same boat. They're looking for some fresh blood to type, regenerate the, the next generation of international footballers. So yeah, I think uh, I think some of the academy systems and, and the processes that were put in many years ago are starting to bear some fruit. Yeah, and Slavin Bilic had that one on uh, uh, his two-year deal. Yeah, he's with, a West, uh, West Brom, West yeah, Brom the baggies. And uh, we're going to talk about the Premier League draw, which has been released with uh, Liverpool to host a newly promoted Norwich City, the Canaries, uh, in the opening match of the season. All right, well done, Willem. Um, after the break, Gaddy, we're looking forward to a good yarn with him. Um, he's going to uh, sit back and relax a little bit, but um, we know he will not be far from the uh, football <laughs> discourse um, because we'll be following him on social media. He'll be doing a bit of freelance work. Let's talk to him after the break and, uh, and find out just what is going to happen in the, uh, the sunlight of the retirement of the great man who is Ray Gatt. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. And uh, look, we like to think of ourselves as a bit of a family on this show. And one of the brothers of this family is a man who, well, I'm, my family and his family have known each other all our lives. We went to school together and... Uh, um, and uh, I've always read um, Gaddy's uh, copy with, with great interest, no matter where he's written. But uh, he's officially retired as the Chief Football Writer of the Australian, and he's been a wonderful supporter of our show. Mate, congratulations, Ray. Uh, but um, knowing your, your trigger finger on the social media, mate, you'll never be too far from uh, the middle of the story. Uh, G'day, Rob. <laughs> Look, thanks for the kind words. Yeah, social media is always part of uh, the journo's life. But, uh, look, it's not total re- I'll, uh, I'll do a bit of freelancing here and there, mm. so I'll keep my eye in and try and keep, uh, as I say, keep the bastards honest. <laughs> you will, mate. Don Chip famously said that, didn't he? Yeah. Um, mate, uh, so, uh, so look, uh, we're going to get you into the studio at some point when you're, when you're visiting Melbourne. We, you know, we want to reflect on your career. So, yeah, we are going to reserve that for a later yeah. date, but you know, you're still right in the middle of, um, of what's going on. And, uh, and the big story right now, um, we've been, uh, sort of reflecting on throughout this show is, um, is the Matildas. And, uh, and, and it, it would be remiss of us not to, to have the conversation with you. You about it because you've been leading the charge on um, on the Alan Stadich um, uh, uh, stories and um, and and the um, subsequent fallout. Um, there's been a lot of others um, writing and commenting, um, and this last week it's all sort of blown up again post the Italy result. But the the momentum now, the pendulum has all swung back the other way after uh, last night's uh, the miracle of uh, Montpellier. So. Um, What's your take on all this, Gaddy? Well, firstly, we can take a huge sigh of relief, can't we? After, after you know what, what happened this morning, I mean, down down two nil, and we all held our collective breath because you know <laughs> the signs weren't good, and uh, we could have been on the way out of the of the World Cup, you know, before it even started. But no, um, great great effort this morning. Typical of the Matildas, they show, showed a lot of courage. But, you know, they they bounced back and they put it, put it together. And uh, well done to them. A uh, lot, a lot of pressure on them, as I, as I said. They'd lost over in all sorts of trouble. So, um, you know, well done. Still a few little issues, unfortunately, going going ahead. Uh, their defence is not, you know, not that great at the moment. And when they play against one of the big sides like France or Germany or England, you know, that could be an issue, but look, that's for another day. What we want to celebrate, as you said, is the miracle of Montpellier. 
Yeah, and uh, and look, um, the uh, the ability of Alan Stadjic to turn it round under Alan Stadjic anti Milicic to turn it round under all sorts of pressure um, was um, was on uh, um, full display. He, he he did keep it together yep. in the week where, as you said, there was all sorts of pressure um, on him as well because you know his entire reputation uh, um, was uh, is hanging off um, the the result of this because uh, you know he's come in as the the sort of golden boy off the back of uh, you know being the assistant to. Ange Postacoglu and to, and to Arnie yeah. as well. Yeah, look, I, I think importantly, he saw the need to change and he made those, those changes. Um, obviously, Claire Polkinghorne was injured, so yeah, he moved Steph Catley uh, to centre-half and uh, brought in Elise Kell on night. And those, those two moves were, yeah, were, were important, even though the, you know, defensively, as I said, they, they were naive naive game. But, uh, yeah, Ante, as you would expect... Uh, Reacted very well under pressure as well. So, um, so good, good on him. He's, he's had to do it tough, and given you know, all the circumstances, you know, around Alan Stadjic's sacking and whatever. But he's he's got on with the job, and you know, he obviously had the bit of pressure after losing to to Italy. But uh, you know, as I said, he's reacted reacted positively, and I think it's now a good sign because that win this morning will do the world confidence to the to the team moving forward. You just get the sense that there's going to be a you know, a lot of momentum behind them as, as this tournament goes on. Gutty, it's Dean here. Hope you're well. Yeah. Uh, I am well, Dean. Congratulations. In the, let's call this the semi-retirement and you'll be doing yeah, a yeah. freelancing. Um, where do you think we go from here? I mean, obviously the result this morning has had a big bearing on, you know, the, the, the opportunity now. Uh, had they taken a draw or certainly a loss, then, you know, there would be yeah. desperate times. But I think sometimes you get buoyed by a really good win, um, especially when you've most probably thrown the game before away, when it was yeah, really yeah, you, yeah, in yeah. your control. So uh, where from here? How, how far and how deep do you think we can go and, and certainly get out of the stages and get to the 16? Yeah, Dino, look, I think it's important that they now back this up against Jamaica in their last group game. I'd like to see a uh, complete performance, you know, a convincing performance. I'd like to see that defence tighten right up um, because they're going to need it, as I said. You know, when you, you know, you're going to present chances to teams like France and, and Germany and England and Netherlands, and they're, you know, they're going to take them up. Though. So once they get past Jamaica, I, which I think will be with a fairly solid win, then, um, you know, any, anything can happen for them because, as you said, the, the momentum is building for them now. Uh, they will take so much out of that win against Brazil. And uh, I think they can go quite deep. Look, I don't know that they can actually win the tournament, in all honesty. I think if they make the semi-finals, it will be a huge achievement to be honest, because, uh, you know, as I say, France, the home team, and, and England... They, but can they, they, do, can they do it with this siege mentality where the world's uh, against yeah. us, the haters and the stick-it-up-yers, and, um, you know, Sam um, Kerr, obviously, very emotional in the post-match, uh, um, wanting to point the finger at, um, unfortunately, some of the people who have been their greatest... Uh, um, supporters. supporters. Yeah, exactly right, well. yeah. Yeah, look, it's probably, it's probably worked for them this morning, didn't it, the siege mentality... Um, yeah, but that, they're going to need more than that to carry them through, Rob, as, as you would would expect. Look, I, I was probably a little bit disappointed in um, Sam's comments. Um, yeah, I can understand the furlings, and you know, she just come off the field after one, you know, fantastic, you know, comfort behind win. But you know, maybe the Matildas should just step back a little bit from that, and uh, you know, maybe if they walked in the 
in the boots of the Socceroos who have copped a hell of a lot over the last few years. Maybe they would understand what it's, it's all about. But, uh, you know, if they want to use that, then fair enough. If it helps them, fair enough. But, uh, yeah, I think they should let their football do the talking. Put you on the spot, Gatti. Um, you've seen, uh, obviously, everyone's had a start in this World Cup uh, for the women. Uh, your predictions of uh, who possibly could win it? I think France and stand out now. But being at home, they've, they've got, it, got it all to play for. Yeah, a hell of a lot of support. England obviously will be tough. Uh, yeah, and the US, you know, um, fantastic win against Thailand. But you know, they got them the hammering. But uh, it'd be interesting to see how they how they back up against. They didn't. They the didn't get team. any new supporters after that result, though. No, <laughs> nah, they didn't. Run that. That was very disappointing. Look, um, I can understand them celebrating the goals, and, that, and that's fine. But there's a, a level of uh, celebration that, you know, you've, you've, you've got to be wary about. I mean, if you're going to celebrate the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th goal as if you've won, you know, you know Powerball or whatever, then, you know, or, or doing, you know, doing a John Aloisi running around, you know, that's, that's not on. I mean, you know, I think that should show a little bit of respect. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Gaddy, look, it's always fantastic talking to you, mate. We'll introduce you as uh, the uh, the respected uh, elder statesman and free- <laughs> freelance journalist from now on. Uh, and, uh, as long as you don't call me a dinosaur, I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't be doing that, mate. Uh, but, um, yeah, look, enjoy the rest of the tournament. We'll talk to you before it's all over. I mean, obviously, you know, the other story, which um, we all know about, is going to sort of blow up again uh, um, in, uh, in 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 the, the weeks and months to come with the um, you know the independent um, uh, uh, investigation. Well, oh, well, yeah. no, well into the um, the whole um, statute issue, but statute, uh, yeah, yeah. So um, obviously you'll be close to that. So um, we, we'll talk uh, now. Dino's got something he wants to ask you very briefly, mate. Uh, what, what is it, Dino? Yeah. No, just uh, Gatti. If if you go back to your you know, I know we've only got a minute, but you've been there. Yeah, yeah, what's, what's the biggest story you ever, ever had that, in your eyes, was going, whoa, that was the one that, you know, maybe got me where I needed to be? Oh, God, now you put me on the spot, mate. Absolutely put me on the spot there. Um, at the moment, nothing really stands out. Not, yeah, go, not going, going to school with Rob? Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, no, well, actually, I'm a lot older than Rob. <laughs> very, very I think he's, Rob's talking more about my my younger brothers. So, um, yeah. yeah, no, there's nothing really that that stand, stands out, to be honest. Um, yeah, I'll, I'd have to think on that. Wait, wait, wait till we write the book, mate. We'll yeah, write the book. Yeah, we'll do yeah that'll be... And, and just be remember perfect. to mention me that I asked that question. Yeah, yeah we'll I do. will. Yeah, put me on the spot. <laughs> Thanks, I really appreciate that. All right, Gaddy. Well, we'll talk to you again real soon, mate. You think about that between now and then, we'll ask you again. Right, Gat. Yeah, um, Thanks, guys. No worries, Ray Gat. Uh, he will continue on. We'll talk to him many, many more times into the future as a freelancer. Hey, guys, Europe next. Copper America next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial... Now, welcome back to Box to Box. Um, it was almost going to be a two-hour Matilda episode, this one, wasn't it, gentlemen? But um, there is a little bit going on in the world of football, not the least of which is uh, the Copper America, the Euros, and um, and the Nations uh, um, League uh, wrapped up last week. So when we when we put this uh, episode in the can, or at least last week's episode, we hadn't seen the result of the, the England-Norway game. and um, Not Norway. Not Netherlands. the England-Netherlands game, I should say. And, um, and uh, England... Uh, had that one in the bag, <laughs> they threw did, it away. <laughs> they did, uh, but they got the uh, the bronze medal. Yeah, look, it, it it was a confusing one really because we've had the Nations League and also then 
Yeah, but the Europe, the Euro, Euro 2020 qualifiers are like buried in behind it. So, yeah, look, uh, the Netherlands, uh, I thought were really good value first half. I thought England came back really well in the second half, uh, but it wasn't to be. Obviously, Portugal had won earlier with a Ronaldo hat-trick, 3-1 against Switzerland. So that uh, that uh, that defeat, um, just some poor decision-making, poor, poor uh, defending from England. Uh, and then uh, they played out a nil-nil draw in the third and fourth place. But uh, most probably the highlight of that was that the goalkeeper uh, not only saved penalties, but he also scored one. And he was quite surprised, uh, Jordan Pickford, to actually be asked, could you take one? And he absolutely buried it. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a slight highlight. Um, but obviously uh, Portugal winning it. And that's another trophy to Portugal. And a tough, tough game, really tight affair. And... 1-0 to the Netherlands, so sorry, for, to Portugal, so they are now the Nations League champions. Is that not the most pointless <laughs> happening in football? <laughs> Third-place playoff, nil-nil draw. Decent trophy, though. I don't yeah, know if you saw okay. it. It's, no, yeah, I didn't decent, say it. Yeah, de- decent trophy. A trophy for third place. Although no, I do say no, 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 no. Football's no, all about no, silverware, Dean, yeah, so it's whatever you got to do. Yeah, you'll do that. So, look, I think, um, I think, look, I quite liked it. It was different. Um, not quite sure where it fits, but... The Euros are certainly back, and I've forgotten about them. But uh, I think just a quick rundown. Group A uh, is England topping it with Czech, the Czech Republic. Um, and then, um, obviously, Group B, uh, Ukraine, Luxembourg. Uh, uh, Group C, Northern Ireland and Germany. So there's been some many games. That, uh, the, Germ- the Germans won 8-0 against Estonia. Um Ireland topped the group in Group D, which is interesting, with Denmark and Switzerland. So that's quite a tough group. They're, they're actually five points and six points clear there in there, mm. um, Ireland. So that's uh, uh, it's going really well for the Republic of Ireland. Then you've got Hungary topping Group E uh, with Slovakia and Croatia. And my team, Wales, in third. So they've got a lot of work to do. Not looking too good for Wales. Uh, group F, Spain and Romania. Oh, Spain are quite ahead of uh, 12 points from Romania and Sweden. Then we have Group G, Poland, uh, top of the group with four wins with 12 points, with Israel and Austria, with Slovenia just chasing the pack. Uh, then we've got Group H, France are on nine points, with Turkey on nine, and Iceland on nine, with Albania on six. So that, that group's really, really mm. tight. Um, Turkey beating France was a bit of a shock. Uh, yeah, but we all know every every now and then there's a cycle where some teams lift, and Turkey are one of those teams. Where we, you know, remember the uh, the famous semi final in the, the uh, South Korea Japan World Cup uh, all those years ago, and um, yeah, yeah, look, I mean, done by in that game, if I recall. And then you've got Belgium uh, topping Group uh, I with mm. um, 12 points, Russia on nine, Kazakhstan on six, along with Scotland. So uh, uh, Russia beat San Marino nine nil. Just wondering, Dino, do you know what these groups are, are based on? Is it on FIFA ranking? Because looking down the list, there's a few very lopsided groups. They've oh, got Group D, Ireland, Denmark, Switzerland, Georgia, and Gibraltar. Uh, group it's... E, Hungary, Slovakia, Croatia, Wales, Azerbaijan. I suppose Croatia would be expected to top the group there, but is it, it is. on ranking? No, no, I, I looked at that as well. Honestly, well, when, I, when, it, when it first came out, I looked at that and I'm thinking, how does, mm. how does this actually, you know, get played out? Mm. Anyway, last group is uh, Group J, can't... Uh, can't miss out on Italy, uh, 12 points. Finland, mm. Armenia, Greece and Bosnia. And mm. then Liechtenstein, unfortunately, with no points. So that's that's the top up there. But this will just continue on mm. till the uh, 
Obviously, the, the game's in 2020. OK, and we're going to analyse this a little bit more next week, but the 2019-20 Premier League draw has been released. Liverpool host uh, Norwich City in the opener. The other promoted sides, uh, Villa and Sheffield United, face Tottenham Hotspur and Bournemouth, respectively. Uh, Manchester United will host Chelsea. In That's a game of the round, yeah, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and for the first time, Willem, uh, there's a split round in the middle of February where 10 matches uh, will uh, take place over two weekends. Yeah, just to give the players a little bit of a break, but as we've seen with tournaments like the Nations League, probably a good time to cram a bit of bit of that into any break they can find in the football calendar. Well, they've calendar. got to start preparing a, uh, some of these European breaks in the next uh, Well, they've got the winter break, they've affirmed it. Yeah, well, not, but, well, where I was going with this is because of the next World Cup in Qatar. Of course. They're, they're, yeah. We're going to see in, in these next few years some of the, the preparing and planning around that. Um, all right, well, so we'll just leave the Premier League draw um, to one side for the. Uh, now, uh, we're going to talk Copper America, but before we do, you need to get in to Chemist Warehouse uh, during June because there are some amazing um, deals at the best of times, let alone uh, this month. Uh, the. Um the Gotcha for Life campaign, though, is is one thing that I do want to talk to you about because Chemist Warehouse support Gotcha for Life, and in the uh, the weekend catalogue lift out, you'll see it online. It ends this offer. Uh, some of these offers are currently on the twenty fourth of June, but um, they're uh, amazing people doing amazing work. Uh, the twentieth of June, I should say, is the date that that catalogue ends uh, for men's mental health. So uh, hats off to Gus Warland. Um, uh, Triple M's Gus Wallen, he does the, the breakfast program up there in Sydney. He's, um, he's well known on uh, Foxtel. But uh, the Box to Box Brotherhood support this uh, Gotcha for Life program uh, with every uh, fibre of our being because men's mental health doesn't get talked about often enough. Um, we've all lost um, some uh, friends and family uh, to, uh, to suicide. Um, it's, uh, it's an insidious thing. Uh, six Aussie men take their lives every single day. Um, and, and that's compared to, to two women. Now, obviously, the, the, the female issue is, is bad enough as it is, but uh, um, three times the amount, you know, are we talking enough? Um, do, do we actually reach out to our friends and find out, um, you know, how, they, how they're going when they're doing it rough? Um, yeah, this, this fabulous uh, initiative um, supported by Chemist Warehouse is one that you should really uh, get behind. No, it's a great, uh, great cause, and it is. It's quite alarming, three to one. Mm. You know, and the ratio for, for men and women. Um, I think it's most probably, I think that women would talk to each other more, yeah. uh, where men most probably hide their their thoughts and, and feel a bit embarrassed about it where they, where they shouldn't be. And there's young fellas, Willem, as well. You know, you um, you know, as you get out of school, there's a lot of testosterone, a lot of, uh, you know, we're going to take on the world and, um, and, and you know, do, do we talk to our mates um, as closely as we should? Copa America, um, it's it's always a big tournament. It's uh, it's one that goes on the calendar for certainly the you know that 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 region of the world. But I want to just before we just go through, we've got the, the groups are the three the three groups is Brazil, Bolivia, Venezuela, Peru are actually in Group A. Group B are Argentina and Colombia, with Paraguay and Qatar, and Group C are Uruguay, Ecuador, and Bolivia, Peru. Mm. Oh, sorry, uh, Japan and Chile. Um, the question I'm going to ask, there's always a Lionel Messi story mm. and then there's always a comparison to Maradona. Mm. And the only thing I can say, having seen both of them play, that Maradona did it for Argentina mm. time and time again, as well as his club. Mm-hmm. Maradona does it for his club all the time, mm. but never really done it for his international 
counterparts. Is this yeah, the one where Messi, Messi, and only have applied for one club as yeah. well? Well, my big problem with that is I don't think it falls on Messi. Um, often watching Argentina at big tournaments, they've got 11 fantastic players on the pitch, but they're reduced to 10 players looking at their greatest player, Messi, to do something. And I think that was the case in Russia last year. They had 10 brilliant players mm. doing very little, looking at going, come on, Leo, get us over the line. Yeah. I think if, if at any point during his career he had had a proper unit behind him and then he can be just the cream on top, maybe that's what's denied him. Yeah, a bit could of be. And let's face it, coming off the back of uh, Maradona's storied career, I'm really looking forward to watching that. Well, that's right. It's timing, isn't it? Timing yeah, is everything. Yeah. Where he, um, you know, when he went to Naples, I remember as a kid uh, there was a um, the first ever wood-fired pizza joint I ever went to. Uh, I'll never forget Pompeii <laughs> Pizzeria in Guildford and Luigi, who ran the pizza joint, was from Napoli. Exactly, had his mother Maria in the black outfit, the Luto, as it's known to the Italians. Uh, and on the wall back then was this picture of Maradona. Maradona in that uh, we all know that 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 um, that uh, inaction shot of him um, in his handballing uh, it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's when I first came across as a, as a young uh, young kid um, the, the legend that became Maradona and and the things that he did with Napoli and uh, and then obviously. Um, for, for Argentina, and the one thing that he did make the mistake on one was, um, I, I understand in this documentary, is that uh, in the 1990 World Cup, uh, because the, the, the Southerners in Italy uh, are looked down off and on by the uh, the Northerners, uh, in that semi-final against Italy, he said that the Napoli uh, supporters should follow Argentina instead of Italy when Italy were trying to get to the final of the World Cup in Italy, and he found out um, just who they really did support back then. <laughs> anyway, um, Maradona, Messi, that conversation will go on forever. Gentlemen, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, we'll talk more Copper America next week as the tournament plays out, and we'll try to get somebody from South America to discuss that with us. But uh, stick around, because Michael is coming up, going back to France, and um, I'm sure his usual strong opinions and firm uh, uh, thoughts on, on the, the wrap-up of what has been an amazing uh, 24 hours, seven Days even uh, in the life of the Matildas. Next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal yes, of all. This is Box to Box and this is stoppage time. The fourth official signals. There's ten minutes left. We've with plenty of time because we are talking to our friend Michael Edgley over there in France. We've analysed this Result against Brazil within an inch of its life, but Michael, you'll be sitting on the edge of your seat waiting to throw your two bobs worth in, mate. How good was that inside that stadium at Montpellier? Oh, it's fantastic. Just just for um, I know you guys love an old school stadium. Montpellier is definitely that. It's an old school stadium. It's about forty five years old, so it's sort of cobbled together with five or six different stands. They're all sort of oddly shaped. Uh, it's just got a real uh, buzz to it. It's uh, you know the, the crowds right on top of the top of the field. Um, it's about uh, 30,000 seats uh, when it's full, um, and there was uh, uh, just under 18, or just under 17,000 people at the game. So, yeah, fantastic atmosphere. But um, I'm sure you've spoken to obviously uh, Bubs, Melissa Barbieri, and also Francis Leach, um, who've been able to explain what a Herculean effort it was. But um, I'm not sure if you've also referred to Samantha Kerr's quote, which probably, it, from my perspective, sums it all up. Uh, we've had a lot of knockers recently and they can all suck on that. So I thought that was uh, an apt quote from um, the Matildas captain, and uh, obviously hearing what was coming from the camp, uh, I could understand that sentiment. They definitely felt that the Australian media had abandoned them, that they had really um, uh, were only telling one side of a story, and uh, they they were pretty fired up in camp and uh, 
and good on them. And, and hopefully the narrative changed now and everyone can start to talk about the girls because that was a, a World Cup win to, to savour for a long time. Um, what was your thought of the game, Edge? Um, obviously, when you're 2-0 down, uh, the first game obviously... I thought we got... started really well. Yeah, yeah, we Francis really said well. that. Um, Francis first, said that. first 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I thought we, we had a lot of possession. But um, I was reflecting at half-time with Francis. I thought we, although we had a lot of possession in the first half, we didn't um, make any really dangerous... Uh, forward thrust until we, you know, we, we got that goal, um, or just a couple of minutes before we got that goal. So it was obviously disappointing to concede the first goal. Um, uh, there was some doubt over the penalty whether, you know, had there been a VAR refill, um, uh, had there, you know, there might have been a handball before Elise Keller Knight brought the player down. But then, um, yeah, they got their tails up a little bit. They started to play through the middle of the field really well, um, and then Emily Gilnack gave the ball away. After a pretty poor exchange of passing with Ellie Carpenter, and Ellie was caught out, um, which she can do from time to time because she tries to get forward so so much. And then you know that was a a perfect part, perfect cross and right on the head of uh, the Brazilian striker. She had a good game. Uh, so we were two 0 down, and at that stage you were sort of scratching your head, thinking, uh, you know, I know there was obviously a lot of looks of despair in the crowd and uh, the invested fans that are travelling with us and the family and friends of the players who were looking after too. So, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, looks of despair. But then, you know, the girls kept going. They kept pushing. Uh, we got that goal from Caitlin Ford and there was a lot of momentum in the halftime. I'm sure you've talked about that. And then uh, the second half was pretty good. Some key substitutions from Brazil probably helped us. And um, and the rest is in the history books. We've made a wonderful comeback to score three goals to, to win and keep our, uh, keep our um, knockout chances alive. The perception uh, from Bubs when she was on was that uh, you know there's a very much a seize mentality, which for me I think is I think is a good thing to have in uh, when you're in a camp and you you're together and you've got one focus and then there's some noise going on outside of that and most probably the noise is it's just the timing of all these stories that's all it is it's not it's not old news or new well some of it's new news but but bottom line is you you get that siege mentality so you know when you come off and that's say what she said get that but i think moving forward it's just got to be focused on playing football winning football matches and trying to get to that final oh i think this week um bubs is absolutely right obviously you know we're Hearing things from the camp, um, and it's definitely um, the reporting uh, this week after the loss against Italy and the implication that uh, you know um, the loss was because Dajic wasn't coaches really got the girls offside. They're really disappointed about that. You know, they, um, the mail is that they are feeling like you know um, uh, don't people recognise that we play the game? Um, so they they were very, uh, as I understand it, um, you know, it was. It was real siege mentality stuff. They, uh, you know, they really did feel like the Australian media had, had abandoned them, that they weren't behind them, uh, and that they were on their own, uh, other than the small sort of band of you know three or four thousand Australians that are travelling around following them. So it was um, it was great stuff. They were highly motivated. You could tell that from the warm up, uh, the way they went about it. Ante uh, Militic was very emotional. David Gallup was hugely emotional after the game. Um, so they're obviously pretty pleased, and um, I just hope for. Uh, the team's sake for the rest of the tournament that this narrative changes now that we can see instead of, you know, 20 articles about the ghost of Alan Stagic, you know, we can now see um, the wonderful um, commentary about Chloe Lagazzo's game, Tamika Yallop's game, 
Um, Samantha Kerr running back into a bit of form. Caitlin Ford was huge today. Uh, some really great uh, performances by players that are coming to their peak. They stood up today, so well done to them. Um, they deserve all the credit today. It's a great, fantastic Australian football story. A wonderful win. Obviously, um, being in the stadium, you could really appreciate the the hole they dug themselves, and uh, and and getting out of it was you know was something something that I'll remember. A, a great Australian World Cup win. Yeah, it sure has been, Edge, and it's already been reported uh, broadly as the miracle of Montpellier, and for, for very good reason. Um, the uh, the one thing that um, that I make clear to Melissa is that uh, whilst there is a, a, a certain narrative uh, from certain angles of the press, uh, it doesn't reflect the Australian public's uh, feeling towards the Matildas, in my view. Uh, the Matildas are a team that's been formed over many, many years, and their rise has uh, been well charted in the, in the, not only the sporting, but the general press uh, as one of Australia's most loved sides. Uh, the, uh, the general public, in my opinion, don't... Uh, share the, uh, the 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 political uh, angst that uh, that most people seem to, and unfortunately, um, uh, and I don't agree with you on Sam Kerr's remarks after the game. Uh, Cheryl Salisbury also uh, you know, commented on the Optus coverage that it wasn't um, statesmanlike uh, uh, to to make that kind of remark after the game, especially as the captain, because it just seems to pour fuel on the fire. That if if it's um, a matter of, of trying to, to to remove the 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 narrative away from that negative side of things. The last thing we need is is the team to to uh, to, to to propagate it. So uh, it, I, I think it would be better off now that that's said to to just let it go, just to move on and uh, and let the wave of support continue to build up and wash over them and just enjoy it rather than 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 uh, the team think too much. I, I accept that there's a, a, an argument for a siege mentality, but uh, but the Australian public is not against the Matildas. That's one thing for sure. Oh, I think they know that. Yeah, I think they're, they're more focused in on the uh, reporting of the traditional Australian uh, football media, um, and you know they're um, you know they I think that, that there's been lots of comments like you know um, people you know they, they just want to tear us down and uh, you know. They, and the Matildas, uh, you're right, Rob, a uh, hugely popular brand um, um, and deservedly so from recent achievements. The, the girls work very, very hard. They don't get the reward that the, the, the male players get. We know all of that. Um, but I think on this occasion, uh, I would give Samantha the benefit of the doubt. They've been under enormous pressure, enormous pressure. Um, and uh, I think that's just uh, letting, letting the pressure go. Um, but, but it is around the whole organisation. It is within the family group as well. Everybody's feeling it. Everybody's feeling personally very aggrieved about it. Um, and, you know, I can un- I can totally understand it, having um, sort of witnessed the atmosphere. Um, but, but I think now, um, you know, the narrative should change. Uh, I, I'm expecting the, uh, the paper journos in particular to change the narrative um, and, uh, you know, talk about the, as you say, the miracle of Montpellier. And doesn't that have a, doesn't that have a lovely ring mm-hmm. to it? Hi, Michael. It's Willem. Just one player I wanted to touch on was Elise Callum Knight. Now, she was left out against Italy. Was she injured or not? Maybe a bit uh, mysterious. She came out and did the media after the game and said she was really clear that the first game wasn't going to define their tournament, and I thought she was absolutely fantastic this morning. Uh, penalty aside, I don't think she misplaced a pass. That was really good leadership uh, for mine. Absolutely. And, and for people who've been following the Matildas for a long time, Elise Callum Knight has played in that left-back position previously. She's actually won a spot in the team of the World Cup two, two editions ago. 
playing in a left-back role. She fitted in beautifully, I thought. Um, her cover was excellent. I thought her use of the ball was terrific. I thought the, the both full-backs team would probably appreciate this. Ellie Carpenter and Elise getting forward were were fantastic. I thought Emily Van Egwon had a better game, a much better game than in against Italy in that holding six role. So there was lots of, you know, even though it was uh, you know, pretty sad for Claire Polkinghorne, I thought um, Elise Keller nine in that left-back position allowed Stephanie Catley to play at centre-back uh, did seem to give us a lot more freedom. I don't know how you saw it, women, but um, I thought we were switching the ball quicker. Elise hit a couple of longer balls, which changed it up a bit. I don't think we hit one long ball uh, against Italy. So I just felt um, that uh, we, we, we looked a team of, with, with greater balance and, uh, and you know, with uh, an improved performance from Caitlin Ford, who's um, you know, had that poor game against the Netherlands in the warm-up, and then a, a better game against Italy, but a really strong game now. So she was she was tremendous in the number nine, that that floating position, false tennis, uh, some people might call it. But she was uh, she was fantastic. She really stood up. Well, Michael, mate, your excitement is palpable. Um, it's been a wonderful way to reflect on. Uh, uh, what a week it's been. I mean, who would have thought uh, you could write a movie about this uh, this past seven days in itself? Um, hopefully it's a precursor to the way that the, the rest of the stadium plays out for... The rest of the tournament plays out for uh, Australia. Um, well, obviously, and, Rob, we're going to be watching the Jamaica game yeah, tomorrow, obviously, yeah. um, to see what happens there. And then uh, we all roads lead to Grenoble in six mm. days' time. Okay, mate. Well, we'll talk to you next week. Stay safe. Enjoy. Uh, be there on our behalf. Um, keep eating those baguettes. Go, and, Matildas. Uh, exactly. Go, Matildas. Absolutely. Well done, guys. Hope you, hope you enjoy the show. Yeah, well, we are, mate. See you, George. Rachel, you can't help yourself. (laughs) Join us next week, uh, hopefully, when there's even more to tell after the Jamaica game when the Matildas power on into the back end of this World Cup on Box to Box, where we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Cup.